Well, most of, as most of you know, we're starting a brand new sermon series today that we are very excited about. I've been talking about it for a while. The sermon series is called Stranger Things. How many of you, just out of curiosity, have watched the, um, no judgment, if you raise your hand, how many of you have watched the series on Netflix, Stranger Things? Oh, yeah, so you guys are really, really going to understand this. Well, my wife and kids were so into this show that we wound up doing a lot of our family nights sitting around watching this show called Stranger Things. Uh, and so what happened was we, we sit down and we begin watching the show. And as I watched this show, it absolutely blew my mind. I mean, not, like the whole time that we were watching this show, I was thinking about messages and, and the parallels between that show and the two different worlds in that show and the world that we live in in the other world that is going on around us. It blew my mind. See, the show is about people living their lives completely oblivious to this other world around them that was called the inside out. And so in the inside out, they were oblivious to this other world that was going on. In the, the world that they were living on, in, it was light and there was life and great things were going on. And in the inside out, there was these really dark creatures Amen? I wanted to see if y'all would catch me. Okay, that was a lie. I just I did it wrong. In the upside down, there was these really dark creatures that were coming into the world of light. Yeah, y'all got to stay with me. In the upside down, I was trying to look at the shirt, but I didn't, I didn't get it. In the upside down, there's these dark creatures that were coming into the world of light and trying to kill the people in the world of light or bring them into this dark world, into this darkness. Now, does that sound like something that y'all know that we're living in? And so as I was watching this show, I was seeing all the parallels to the world that we live in and then the spiritual world that I'm gonna refer to as the upside down in this series, the spiritual world that we live in. I'm not gonna lie, as I was watching this show, the, in the world that we live in, it reminded me so much because we're living in a world where so many people are completely oblivious that there is this other spiritual realm, this other world, if you will, this darkness that is trying to come against the people that are living in this world and take them to the darkness and kill them in this world, if you will, so that they, get, they can get them into this dark world a spiritual realm that we cannot see with our earthly and fleshly eyes, but that is literally affecting every part of our life. And yet we can tap into this world, this spiritual realm, the upside down, if you will, if we learn to see things with our spiritual eyes and in the spiritual realm. Here's what Ephesians chapter six and verse 12 says. It says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. In this world, that we live in, the way that we fight, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and authorities, against powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Man, that makes me think of the show. Because that's exactly what I think about whenever I see the show. Our struggle in this world is living in the world that we live in and learning how to fight the things that are attacking us from the upside down or from this spiritual realm which can sometimes be very challenging. Amen? Let me ask you a question. This series is called Stranger Things. How many of you guys have ever seen some strange things take place in church? I'm not going to ask you to name them. It's obviously a different church. 
<laughs> I'm just kidding. How many of y'all have seen strange things take place in this spiritual realm that I'm talking about? Maybe, maybe some of them a good thing. Healings take place. People filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues. Maybe some of them a bad thing. Demonic forces being cast out of people or off of people. How many of you have seen some very strange things in that world that I'm talking about this morning? Healings, people filled with the Holy Spirit, demons cast out. Honestly, as we look at these things through a fleshly and a worldly and an earthly mind, they are strange. Amen? But when we begin to understand that our fight is not against flesh and blood, but it's actually a spiritual fight, and we begin to understand this upside down, this spiritual realm that is attacking us, then when we look at those things, we can understand those things, and they're no longer that strange, but they become normal because we're understanding that world that we're living in. So this series, through this series, our desire is to enlighten you on some of these things so that you no longer look at them as strange, but you can understand them by looking at them through a spiritual mindset. So to kick us off, I wanna invite Pastor Jordan as he's gonna deliver our first message on prayer. Would you give it up for Pastor Jordan as he comes? Good morning again, everyone. Well, y'all know I have to start it off with a joke. <laughs> so one time the Pope was flying into a large U.S. city and, you know, he, was, he landed in his plane and he gets out and he rushes over to his limo and he goes to his driver and he says, listen, I'm running very late. I have to be at my speaking engagement on time. You're going to have to drive 90 to nothing as fast as you can. You're going to have to get me there no matter what. And the driver says, well, listen, sir, you know, I, I just can't do that. I can't risk getting in a wreck with you in the vehicle. So the Pope said, all right, you get in the back and I'll drive then. So he hops in and he drives and he's just pedal to the metal. And on the way there, inevitably, he gets pulled over. And the deputy knocks on his window and the Pope rolls it down and the deputy realizes who it is. And almost in a state of shock, he walks back to his cruiser and he calls his chief and he says, chief, listen, we have a situation. I just pulled someone over doing 95 and a 40, but I can't bring them in. They're, they're just too famous. And the chief says, well, what are you talking about? You know, no one's outside of the law. You're going to have to bring this person in. And the deputy just, he stands his ground. He says, There's, I just can't do it. I'm not going to do it. This person is far too famous. So finally, the chief says, well, son, who on earth is this? And the deputy says, honestly, chief, I have no idea. But his driver is the Pope. <laughs> Goodness gracious. All right, let's get into that. Let's get into the good stuff here. <laughs> So our battle is not flesh and blood. Our battle is in the spiritual world, in the inside out. I mean, upside down. <laughs> so talking about this upside down and one of the main ways that we access the principles that are found in Ephesians 6 verse 12 is through prayer. Amen? In fact, essentially the main way that we access these principles is through a healthy prayer life. So today's sermon is simply titled The Power of prayer, the power of prayer. We're going to start out for talking just a minute about the power of prayer. However, I don't want us to really examine prayer as we do it now. I don't want us to talk about prayer, how it is sometimes in our lives or our homes or even in our churches. I want us to take a look back at the word of God and at the early church and examine prayer as it was intended 
as the Lord wants us to do it. Does anyone believe that we've strayed a little far away from that in today's modern times? So we're not going to look at that. We're going to take a look back. Let me read you a few verses. And I'm just going to kind of do these one after another. So if you don't have time to turn there, they'll be on the screen. The first one is 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 16 through 18. And it says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing. Never stop praying is what another translation says. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. 1 John 5, 14, listen to this one. This is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. How about Philippians 4, verses 6 through 7? Philippians 4, 6 through 7 says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about what? Everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then... And only then will you experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. Another translation says that surpasses our understanding. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. This is how prayer was intended for us. If you think about the people of the Bible that we look up to, that we follow, and you consider what their prayer lives were like, you see that it was one of the main components of their entire life. Jesus himself, God, fully God, the savior of the world, had an incredibly active and powerful prayer life. Do you realize that? It says that Jesus, when he went to the Garden of Gethsemane, prayed so intensely and fervently that he began to sweat blood. Anybody in here ever sweat blood while praying? I didn't think so. When Paul was called to ministry, did you know that when Paul was called to ministry, before he preached one message, before he wrote his first letter to the church, the first thing he did was went to the desert for three years by himself and prayed and walked with Christ? Three years, that's what Paul did. The prophet Ezekiel laid on his side in the street for 390 days and bore the burden of Israel and prayed and then turned to his other side and prayed for another 40 days. Some of us in here, some of y'all who like staying in bed, you're like, send me, Lord, I'll do that one. (laughs) I can do that. Even if you look just beyond the Bible, which we don't need to, but even if you do, we were talking about this the other night in school discipleship level two. A good friend of mine, brother Nick Carl, was pointing out that if you look at any of the champions of the faith that we look up to, any people that God used in a mighty and a powerful way for works of revival, one thing that was 100% consistent with all of them is that they all had a deep, powerful, rich, vibrant, healthy prayer life. Every single time, they spent countless hours in prayer. Charles Spurgeon said that true prayer is neither a mental exercise nor a vocal performance. It is far deeper than that. It is a spiritual transaction with the creator of the universe. Gypsy Smith, I love this one, a famous evangelist that would preach to crowds of hundreds of thousands of people. A group of people one time came and asked Gypsy, how do we get those results? How do we see revival like that in our cities? And this is what Gypsy told him. He said, go into your room, kneel down on the floor, lock yourself in. He said, take a piece of chalk and draw a circle around yourself. Right there, pray fervently and brokenly that God would start a revival within that chalk circle. That's how you start revival right there. 
Oswald Chambers said that prayer does not fit us for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. And D.L. Moody, Moody said that every great movement of God can be traced back to a kneeling figure. Would you agree that prayer is important? You look at at prayer today, and I can't help but ask, Lord, how far have we strayed away from how you intended it? How far have we fallen from these great examples of prayer that we read about and that we hear about? So often today when we pray, we really don't put effort into it. We don't take it as seriously as we should. Sometimes we do the machine gun prayers. Anybody ever done this? You're walking through your day and you get convicted. Oh, I haven't prayed in a little bit. So you get your machine gun out, right? God, I pray for this, 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 and that. I pray for him. I pray for her. I pray for me. might be, ah, there we go. All right. Sorry. Sometimes we do. That was an ADD moment. Sometimes we do the ADD prayer, right? We get distracted while we're praying. Anybody guilty of being distracted while you're praying? You get 10 seconds in. God, you're so good. So good. It's finger looking good. KFC, that's what I want for lunch today, right? (laughs) Anybody ever done that? Sometimes we do what I would call the mind numbing prayers, to where we just repeat the same stuff, but it's not in our heart, it's not in our mind, it's like we're reading a script almost. The be with prayers. Lord, be with this, be with this, be with me, be with him, be with her, be with, be with. What are you talking about be with? The Bible says I am with you always to the end of the age. You are praying to the creator of the universe. Take it seriously, right? Let's start acknowledging and take up this mantle, this call to pray as God intended it. What we see in our lives, in our homes, sometimes even in our churches, is that we have lost the art of powerful, anointed, healthy prayer lives. And I cannot help but believe that the solution to so many of this life's problems, the answer to our questions and the catalyst to our healing our deliverance, our revival, our salvation is not in finding the catchiest new worship song that we can sing all day. It is not in looking on the internet and finding the newest YouTube preacher that has all the answers. It's not in taking the newest class or following a 12-step program. It is to get on our hands and knees and get back in communion with Christ and pray powerfully like we mean it. This is the solution. Pray like the Bible says. Pray like Jesus did, like Paul did, like your grandmother did. Anybody have some powerful praying grandmas or moms in the room? Man, There's some special power in those prayers, and I'm not joking. I mean that seriously in the prayers of a mom and a grandmother. If it weren't for Diana Hampton, I would probably either be dead in a ditch or selling drugs right now. I don't know which one, but if it weren't for her prayers for her children. We need to take up this mantle of truly powerful prayer again. For the sake of our lives, for the sake of our families. How about this one? For the sake of our churches, our nation, our government. Don't you know all of those things need prayer? We must turn back to God and embrace this idea of powerful prayer. I'll end this with one more quote. Corey Ten Boom once asked, is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? 
Whew. I'm going to say that one again for the people who are scrolling through Facebook right now. Listen up. Is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? Man, what a question, is it not? So diving in, what is the first step to powerful prayer? How do we achieve this? How do we get back to this point that God has called us to be in? You know, as, as I was preparing this message, God really took me in a different direction. I had started writing some stuff out and he just totally changed it. So I know it's going to be good because when God takes control, it's always good, right? So this is where he led me to spend the majority of this message talking about. So if you don't hear me getting into the points, don't be nervous, okay? Because we're going to spend a little time on this most of our time. First step number one to powerful prayer is knowing your position. We must know our position. Before we can have a healthy and powerful and anointed prayer life, we have to know the position from which we're praying from. We have to know our identity. We have to know who exactly we are and the authority in which we operate. If we don't know that stuff, then you can go ahead and cross a powerful prayer life off of your wish list because it won't happen until we embrace that, until we realize that. I'll, I'll tell you this, uh, a couple weeks ago I was at a conference and it was with a few people from the church and I was speaking with Brother Ken Jones. Anyone know Brother Ken? Man, he's an awesome guy. We love Brother Ken, one of our uh, deacon team members. And Brother Ken, God actually used him to say something to me that God had been stirring in my spirit for months, but I didn't know how to put it into words. Anybody ever been there? You know God's speaking something. You know he's doing something. It's just, if I could put it into a sentence, right? So God used Ken for that, and he didn't even realize it because he just sort of said it in passing. But we were talking about the church, and this is what Brother Ken said. And I want you to think about this with me. He said, you know, honestly, what a lot of the church probably needs is an honest revelation of what happened at the cross. Whew, chills. What we need is an honest revelation of what happened at the cross. And then he kept talking. I was like, stop, go back. You just changed my whole life, Ken, because you just put into a sentence what I know God has been speaking to me for months now, because God showed me that what I needed, there was a time, not only in my life, in my ministry, that I was so caught up in religion that I desperately needed this revelation to know what happened at the cross. I believe, I believe God has been showing me, and, and this is bold and it may hurt some feelings, I hope I'm wrong. Let me say this, I hope I'm wrong, but I believe that probably about 90% of the church still needs an honest revelation of what happened at the cross. Let me ask you a question. Answer this honestly to yourself. Please answer it honestly, not out loud. Do you know who you are in Christ? Not the Sunday school answer. Not, yeah, I said a prayer that said I believed in Jesus when I was seven and now I'm not going to hell anymore. No, I'm for real. Do you know who you are in Jesus Christ? Do you know the significance of what happened on that cross? Do you know your identity? Do you know what he says about you? Do you know the authority in which you operate? Oh, it got quiet. <laughs> I'm hoping that means we're thinking. Because if you don't know those things, there is no way that we can go boldly before the throne of God and ask. We must know 
who we are. This is my position. This is my identity. This is who I am in Christ. This is what happened at the cross. I'm going to operate in it. Some of the best scriptures that we find in the word of God on this are in Romans chapter eight. Would you turn there in your Bibles for me to Romans chapter eight? We're gonna dive into this and and we're gonna jump around. We're not going to read the whole thing. So just kind of stay with me. But we're starting in verse one. This, if we can embrace these things that we're about to read, it will change the way that you do life. So verse one, reading from the NLT translation says, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Jesus Christ. Somebody say amen to that one. And because you belong to him, listen to this, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. That means that you, everyone say me, you were bought with a high price by the blood of Jesus Christ. And because of that, within you lives the spirit of life-giving power that has made you free. That is the position from which you are praying from. Let's read in Romans 8, verse 15, if you would jump down to verse 15 through 17. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. For his spirit joins with our spirit to confirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we share his glory, we must also share his suffering. What does that mean? That means that you, you have not been given a fearful spirit. You have the spirit of the living God within you. God has adopted you, not as stepchildren, but as his own blood-bought children. We call him now Abba, Father. If you trace that word Abba, Father, back to the original Aramaic language in which it was written, we find that it describes, listen to this, Abba, Father, and in the original language, describes a fatherly love, a fatherly relationship that is so pure, so intense, so great, so extreme that it literally cannot be put into words. It can only be known by experiencing it. It can only be known by living it. You can't put it into words how great his love is for you. That is the love that your father God has for you. We are his children. He is our Abba. And because of that, we are heirs to his fullness. The fullness of God is within you. That is the position from which you are praying from. Man, Romans 8 verses, I want to make sure I'm reading right here, verses 31 through 33, if you would jump down. 31, what then shall we say about such wonderful things as this? If God is for us, who can be against us? Since he did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he give us everything else? Listen to this. Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one, for God himself has given us right standing with him. What does that mean? You are on God's side. You have his spirit within you. And if he is for you, who can be against you? 
who dares accuse you, who dares come against you, that is the power from which you are praying. That is the position that you are praying from. Let's read one more set of scriptures right here in Romans 8, verses 35 through 37. 35 through 37, can anyone separate us from the love of Christ? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake, we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. Verse 37, no, despite all of these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ Jesus who loved us. You are made complete, made whole in the love of Christ. And despite calamity, despite hardships, despite issues, despite attacks, overwhelming victory is yours through Christ Jesus. That is the position from which you are praying from. Are you getting what I'm saying? Are you realizing just how powerful this is? I'll give to you another quote that I have not been able to get out of my head for weeks. If we'll hold on to this, again, this is life-changing. Here it is. I know who I am because I know whose I am. I know who I am because I know whose I am. Church, we have got to embrace our identity. We have got to renew our minds We have got to pick this up and accept it. So oftentimes we walk through life and we approach the Lord and we don't even know who we are. We don't even know the position from which we stand. We approach God in in fear, in uncertainty. We approach him as slaves, not as free. We approach him as outsiders, not as children. And by stepping into our identity in Jesus, by realizing and gaining a revelation of what happened on the cross and knowing your position, not only will it change your prayer life, it will change your entire life. It will change how you do things. I know I spent a little bit of time on this, but I encourage you, in fact, I beg you to get some scriptures, to get in the word, to get in prayer, and to begin to ask God, Lord, show me who you say I am. Show me the position from which I stand. That's a challenge I have for you, is to go home, get some scriptures that tell you what God says about you. And when you have those, you have a firm foundation upon which you can stand and you won't be shaken. We can tell the enemy, no, no, sir. Why? Well, because it says that in Romans 8, I am more than a conqueror in Jesus Christ. Colossians 2 tells me that I am made complete in Jesus Christ, who is the head of every power and every authority. Hebrews chapter 4 tells me that I can come boldly before the throne of grace and receive mercy from my Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 tells us, listen to this, that I am am the righteousness of God through Christ Jesus who has made me new into a new creation. Amen. This is what God says about you. Get it in your heart. Learn the position from which you are operating. I know who I am because I know whose I am. If you don't fully understand this yet, that's okay. How many of you know who, I don't want to offend anyone, religion, I don't care actually. (laughs) Sorry. Religion is a very hard mindset and spirit to get out of, is it not? 
it can be hard to embrace this, that you know what, I am nothing, but in Christ, he is everything. My righteous deeds are as filthy rags. I can't do this on my own. But in him, this is what God says about me, to get into that identity so that I can stand firm when I pray and when I live, knowing that I am a blood-bought child of the king. He is my Abba Father, and I know my identity and the authority from which I stand. I'll end this out with this one thing right here. All of, all of these scriptures that I just read, the ones I just quoted, the run, ones in Romans chapter eight, they all have one contingency. They all have one caveat. They all have one qualifying factor for our lives. These scriptures only apply to those who are in Christ. It's true. Those who have not received him into their lives, those who have not been made new and made him into their savior and king, this does not apply. Do I say this to scare you? Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> because if God is telling you, if he is calling you and drawing to him, don't put it off for another minute. Don't put it off. Again, I'm not talking about a scripted prayer that says, I believe you exist, Jesus. Now I have my ticket to heaven and I can do whatever I want. The Bible talks about a new life, a new creation. Have you been made new in Christ? If so, this is what he says about you. And if not, you better do it or else this does not apply to you. Okay, moving on. So again, as I was writing this sermon, the original plan was for the first part of the message that I just spoke to take three to five minutes. <laughs> so y'all get ready to stay here for a few hours. We're just going to keep on going. <laughs> no, so um, God just really took me in a different direction and he just showed me, you know what, Jordan, the points that you have, the points that you read in the Bible, if these people do not realize their position, their identity in me, it's useless. There's nothing that they can do with it. So we're going to dive into some points, and these are points as, as we're kind of coming to a close about the life of King Hezekiah. And Hezekiah, if you don't know, was a great, mighty prayer warrior, a great example of praying in the word of God. For time's sake, I'm going to do a, a little more of, of a summary of his story and a little more of a summary of the points rather than really getting down deep into it. So my homework to you is to go home and read this because this is powerful, powerful stuff. The story of Hezekiah is found, if you want to write it down, in 2 Kings verses 18 through 20. Read it and ask God to begin to reveal new things to you that maybe I didn't see. But to jump into the points and to sort of summarize this story, in 2 Kings chapter 18, Hezekiah becomes king of Judah. He becomes the ruler of Judah and all of its cities. Shortly thereafterwards, Judah was invaded by Assyria. Assyria was well known for being powerful. They would occupy nations and just plunder it and move them into to places where they were exiled. So essentially, Hezekiah inherited a problem child. So Hezekiah, he gets Judah, he becomes king, Assyria invades, they occupy Judah, and what happens is that we find that the king of Assyria, Sennacherib, is standing outside of the city of Jerusalem. He's standing, and he gives this message to the city and to King Hezekiah and the people there. Essentially what he says in this chapter is he says, hey, you either come out and surrender, or we will invade you we will plunder you and we will leave you devastated. 
Those are your two options. In fact, he said that the people will be so destitute that they will drink their own urine and they will eat their own, you know what, (laughs) you can read between the lines, that's what he said. King Sennacherib said, he began to mock Israel and he said, you really believe it when King Hezekiah says that your God will deliver you. No other God has helped any of the other nations against us. You really believe that your God is any different. You really are going to listen to King Hezekiah. He's taunting them and mocking them with these threats. So in your Bible, 2 Kings 19 verses 14 through 19 is we're going to land. Hezekiah gets this letter he is filled with, with worry. He is filled with devastation and angst and pain because of what is taking place. And in verse 14, it says, after Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers and read it, he went up to the Lord's temple and he spread it out before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed this prayer before the Lord. O Lord, God of Israel, listen to this church. You are enthroned between the mighty cherubim. You alone are God of all the kingdoms on earth. You alone created the heavens and the earth. Bend down, O Lord, and listen. Open your eyes, O God, and see. Listen to Sennacherib's words of defiance against the living God. Verse 17, I love this. It is true, Lord, that the kings of Assyria have destroyed all these nations, and they have thrown the gods of these nations into the fire and burned them. But of course, the Assyrians could destroy them. They were not gods at all. Only idols of wood and stone shaped by human hands. Now, O Lord, our God, rescue us from his power. Then all the kingdoms of earth will know that you alone, O Lord, are God. Hallelujah. Amen. Jumping down, if you would, God hears this prayer and we see his response in verse 35. If you want to jump down to verse 35. (laughs) That night, the angel of the Lord went out into the Assyrian camp and killed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. Don't mess with God. There's There's a free mini message inside of this message. When the surviving Assyrians woke up the next morning, they found corpses everywhere. Then King Sennacherib of Assyria broke camp and returned to his own land. He went home to his capital of Nineveh and stayed there. Point number one in the story of Hezekiah real quickly. Number one, our prayers are weapons of warfare. Your prayers are weapons of warfare. 2 Corinthians 10 verses four through six. Give y'all a minute. I know I hear some pages turn and I talk so fast. Forgive me. 2 Corinthians 10 verses 4 through 6. It says, we are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and we teach them to obey Christ. Someone say amen to that. Once we discover who we are in Christ, once we know our position, once we know what the Lord says about us, we begin to realize that our prayers are not meant as little bitty speeches that we make every time we're about to eat some food or every time we want to give God our wish list, right? We begin to realize that that our prayers are not times for us to sound holy or for us to sound mighty or anything like that. 
Our prayers are not 20-second tickets to say, here you go, God, I prayed for the day. Now you won't be mad at me. Our prayers are mighty weapons of warfare that are used as tools to destroy the enemy and to call down heaven, and we need to start treating them as such. We need to realize and embrace this. Church, if I could step on your toes and my own toes real quick, stop praying so nonchalantly. Stop only praying every time you want something or you're about to stuff your face with some food. Take it seriously. Pick up your mantle and stop acting like you are just a spectator of spiritual warfare and realize I'm a soldier, baby. I got to get in there and I have to use the weapons that God has given me. Again, again, what's so beautiful about knowing our identity in Christ from the first part of this message is that we realize this all comes from God. This isn't us doing it. This isn't our power. We are nothing. Our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. It's the Lord working through us, fighting through us, that spirit of God that is within us. It's like it said here in, in 2 Kings, it said that Hezekiah, I love this, it said he went and he laid out his case before the Lord. He spread it out, he prayed, and then God answered. So my challenge to you for this point, this week is to go to war, to pick up your mantle, to begin to spread out your case before the Lord, to lay it out and allow him to fight these battles. Point number two, moving on, in between, Hezekiah's prayer and the Lord striking down the Assyrians, there's a little midsection of verses. If you want to write them down to read later, it's 2 Kings 19, verses 20 through 34. It's 15 verses, and they're beautiful. I encourage you to read them. And what's interesting about these is that these are actually God's answer to Hezekiah. He's speaking through the prophet Isaiah, and he's assuring Hezekiah, I heard your prayer. I will protect my great city and I will not let the Assyrians defeat you. I will strike them down. So the key to this, what happened? Hezekiah spoke. God spoke back and assured him. Point number two that we need to realize is that our prayers usher in the voice of God. Jeremiah 33 verse three says, call to me and I will answer you. I will show you great and mighty things which you do not know. Not only did Hezekiah just speak, but God spoke that through, back through Isaiah and he listened. You see, so many times I believe that our prayers, what we turn them into is monologues. Anybody remember getting up in school and giving a monologue? So we go before God and it's just, God, do this. Help me here. Help me there. This, that, I want this be with this person, be with that person, right? And we're just kind of reading off our monologue. Maybe it's well-intentioned, maybe it's well thought out, maybe you have hours and hours of your monologue, but it's still a monologue. You know what God says to me sometimes when I'm monologuing to him? He says, hey Jordan, shut your mouth for one second and let me answer. Be quiet for just a minute and let me speak because you say, oh God, we want you to speak. We want to hear from you. But do we ever stop doing this? Do we ever even press pause on our own plans and stop and say, God, what do you want here? Lord, what are you saying? I'm going to get still. I'm going to get quiet. And I'm going to listen to you, Lord, and allow you to speak. Some people get upset when you give points like these. 
these old preachers. God doesn't talk to me. What are you talking about hear from God? The preachers always say they hear from the Lord. He doesn't speak to me. People get frustrated. They don't know what this means to, to hear from God. And I will admit, I will say that rarely does it happen that you hear the audible voice of God. It absolutely does still happen, and I believe that wholeheartedly. But for a lot of people, it may literally be a once, twice, never in a lifetime thing. But what I have found is that if I'll just get still, if I will get open, God will speak to me through literally an infinite number of things. If I'll be willing, if I'll be listening, he will speak to me through his word. I will open up my Bible to the exact passage that I need in that moment. He'll speak to me through nature while I'm driving down the street. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody ever had that happen? Speak to me through worship. Speak to me through other people like he did with Brother Ken, like he did with Hezekiah through Isaiah. He'll speak to you through that still small voice, through those gut feelings. I could go on and on and on. But the point is your prayers usher in God's voice. Stop and listen. Allow him to speak back. So here's my challenge to you for this point this week. Put down your monologue. Everyone do that with me. Put down your monologue. In fact, you can even wad it up and throw it at your neighbor if you want to. Put it down, wad it up, throw it away, and pick up your phone and watch Netflix. No, don't, don't do that. Pick up your spiritual phone and have a conversation with God. Speak and allow him to speak back. Get still, get quiet, and listen for his voice rather than just monologuing the whole time. All right, final point as we're coming to an end right here from Hezekiah's life. Shortly after this took place, in fact, the Bible says immediately after, Hezekiah became deathly ill, very, very, very sick. And God actually tells him, and this is a key point, so y'all listen to this, God himself tells Hezekiah that you are going to die from this. Get your house in order. The Lord tells him, you will not recover from this illness. 2 Kings 20 verses two through six, if you'll read them with me, right after God tells him this. When Hezekiah heard this, he turned his face to the wall and he prayed to the Lord. Remember, O Lord, how I have always been faithful to you and I have served you single-mindedly, always doing what pleases you. Then he broke down and he wept bitterly. Verse four, but before Isaiah had left the middle courtyard, listen to this, this message came to him from the Lord. Verse five, go back to Hezekiah, the leader of my people, and tell him this is what the Lord, the God of your ancestor David says. I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. I will heal you. And three days from now, you will get out of bed and go to the temple of the Lord. I will add 15 years to your life and I will rescue you and the city from the king of Assyria. I will defend this city for my own honor and for the sake of my servant, David. Wow. Point number three, our prayers can turn the heart of God. Man, what a powerful thought. This is some, again, that may upset some people, may upset some religious people, but don't get mad at me. Get mad at the Bible if you're gonna get mad because it's right in there. God told Hezekiah, you will not recover. Get your house in order. Hezekiah prayed. He went before that throne of grace. And what happened? God spared him. 
and his heart was turned toward Hezekiah, he answered the prayer. I'm gonna invite our band up to the stage. I encourage you, I know we're running late. I encourage you not to leave. If you need to, that's okay. But band, would you come up? And as you come up, you can begin to play in the background. Again, this point may sound a little weird, may sound even controversial, this idea that your prayers can turn the heart of God. Do you know what the word of God says? It says you do not have because you do not ask. Anybody remember being little and asking to sleep in your parents' bed? Anybody else remember that? Do we have any parents in the room that are currently dealing with that with your kids? So what happened? You would go, you'd ask them, can I stay in your bed? And they'd say no. Ask again, no. Again, no, right? And then finally, what would you do? Man, you'd put the puppy dog eyes on and you'd give your sweetest voice and you'd start to tear up and you'd ask and finally they'd say, yeah, come on, get in, right? What happened in that moment? You softened your parents' heart and their heart was turned to you. When you're in Christ, you have been adopted as a blood-bought child of God. He is your Abba Father as a son or a daughter. And I don't know the situation with your earthly father, but I can tell you this, your heavenly father is crazy about you. Your heavenly father loves you with the love that cannot be put into words. And when we go before him, and if we ask of something and he wills it, now there is a key word, he wills it, your prayers can turn his heart. You do not have because you do not ask. Knock and the door will be open. Seek and you shall find. Now, please understand, am I preaching some kind of prosperity gospel? Pray for a million dollars in a Corvette and God will give it to you? No, that is not what I'm preaching. Here's what I'm preaching. If you have been praying and seeking for a miracle from God, do not stop. Your prayers may turn his heart. Do not stop praying for your miracle. If you're in need of God's direction and his help and his guidance and you're just not sure what to do and you feel lost, do not stop praying. Keep seeking. Your father hears your prayers and he turns his heart to us. If you desperately need encouragement, if you need some new joy, if you need revival, if you need renewal, do not stop seeking after it. If you are praying for the salvation or the revival of your family, or your community, or your nation, do not stop. If you're seeking for the Lord to anoint you, to empower you, to strengthen you, to use you, do not stop praying. One of the scriptures that I love quoting most, I absolutely love it. The Bible says that if men, meaning us, if men being wicked know how to give their children good gifts, how much more so does our Father in heaven? Wow. Would you stand up to your feet, band? You can just continue to play back there if you would. Uh, pastors and prayer partners, would you come down to the front? To recap this, praying powerfully. First, number one, we must know where we stand and who we are and the position in which we're praying from. Once we know that, much like Hezekiah, we have to realize that our prayers are mighty weapons of warfare. We got to take them up. We got to take it seriously. We have to then realize that our prayers usher in the voice of God. So stop for just a little bit and let him speak to you. And then finally, we realize that your prayers turn the heart of God. Do not stop. Do not stop.
as we get ready to pray, when I was asking the Lord, Lord, how do you want to do this altar call? I really wasn't sure. In fact, I almost took it in a totally different direction, but I just really felt God saying, you know what? My Holy Spirit is working on them and they know what they need to do. So we do have our prayer partners up here. If you are in here and you need prayer, I'm about to invite you to receive it. If you need to come to the altars and God is telling you, hey, just some one-on-one time right now, do it. If you need to turn around at your seat and make an altar there, do it. Do what the Lord is leading you to do. But I encourage, do not walk away without receiving what he has. I know that there are people in this room that you say, Jordan, I have lost my identity in Christ. I have forgot who I am and I need to embrace it and I need to stand in the position that he has called me to stand. I know there are people in this room who say, Jordan, I have not been made new in Jesus. Today is my day to receive him as savior, to make him Lord, not some little ritual, not some religion, but a serious new life. There are some that you need to lay your case out before God like Hezekiah, or you need to get quiet and listen to the Lord, or you need to keep praying and ask the Lord to turn his heart to you wherever you are, whoever you are, whatever God is leading you to do right now, can we begin to pray? And if you need prayer, step out and let's worship together in here today. Step out right now if you need prayer.